Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Hey, what the hell's going on here? He asked to do a line read? He whispered that in your ear? What do you mean the listeners love him? We're on air? You better... Hey, that's my line. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are back with part two of The Green Mile from our patron, Andrew Edmark. And we are covering through part four, if you are following along. And if not, major spoilers ahead. And Josh is leading our discussion. Let's hop into it. Book three, Coffee's Hands. Now, I know I just said let's get into it, but let's stop getting into it. <laughs> yes. Uh, this The first chapter of all of these books is the present day Paul. Mm-hmm. I don't like these. No? <laughs> really? I, 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 I don't know what... Part four, the beginning of part four, where like a narrative is starting uh-huh. to happen, mm-hmm. I'm, I liked that. But so far, I had not incrementally enjoyed them because they felt more just like recap vehicles because it's a different book. Because that's what they were. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then now as when four gets here, we're starting to get something a little new, but I wanted to see if I'm, I was alone in that because the part three one, I didn't really take any notes because it, <laughs> I didn't know what it meant yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dr. Sleep hurt me because I'm just still so relieved for this manner of recapping. <laughs> and what a mm-hmm. fresh breath it is that I'm I'm into it. But it it doesn't stand out to me. I'm not like continuing to think about it except as you said, the next one we get because there's something actually happening in present day other than him just kind of bringing us up to speed on the previous book. Uh I actually really like these parts yeah. because of as it goes on how it starts kind of playing into the the parallels of uh Paul being, you know, the the head screw on the mile and now he is, you know, he keeps saying it's a senior living facility. I'm not in jail. <laughs> but <laughs> and the Percy sort of doppelganger. <laughs> yeah, in uh whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Also, I like these bits because of stuff we have not gotten to oh, yet all right, and will cool. not get because I think I mentioned last episode that King does this is literally probably the best foreshadowing uh, in a King book mm-hmm. in my opinion because it's so subtle you read through it the first several times and you're not going to pick up on Some really cool stuff that you don't find out until the end of the book. So after we finish the book, I should go back and read all these chapter ones (laughs) and see if... uh, All right. Present Paul is a slow burn. (laughs) His penis was a fast burn. Mm. Hey-oh. Let's (laughs) as they say. (laughs) Uh, We should get back to the the story at hand, though, because I know CM has got to be dying to figure out how they get out of this jam with Wild Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder. (laughs) Uh, We pick up exactly where we left off. 
with Wild Bill choking Dean and this chaotic standoff that that we've left. And uh, as CM mentioned, Brutal comes up from behind and just wallops him across the back of the head. I like that Paul said, like, I think he might be dead. Just for a (laughs) split second because of how loud it was and he just Mm -hmm. drops. And uh, and luckily, he stays up for a handful of hours. Uh, He is brain damaged. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to be knocked out for Mm -mm. any time. Yeah, pretty much, (laughs) yeah. it It was a nap. He was just having a nap. <laughs> he was very exhausted. I loved that it mentions, you know, he's out for three hours, but by the time he gets up, no one heard him get up. Paul just looks up and he's there standing at the bar, staring at him. Yeah, And he's like, I tried not to react like I was startled, but I think he knew I was startled. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this uh, as we jump back? Because we're going to find out what happened in these three hours. We pick up after Wharton is unconscious uh, because it stands out that Paul is very calm Mm -hmm. in his response to Bill. And he's like, that's not what he was probably expecting, but I had other things to think about. Mostly my dick. (laughs) (laughs) uh, We jump back to, to E block. Paul has sent Percy to talk to the warden. Uh, He's sent everybody else to the infirmary with Dean and he's alone on the mile when he realizes that, Coffee hasn't said anything in a bit. Uh, And he thinks Coffee may have killed himself. But luckily he has not. This is, we don't have a term for this, but we've talked about it ever since Pet Cemetery. Mm -hmm. of the, this is the worst idea. But you're compelled to do it. But I'm doing it. Well, later, because I didn't pick up on it in this part that's about to happen, but later with Mr. Jingles, he references feeling hypnotized again mm-hmm. and i was like oh i i don't know if it references it here but i didn't pick up on it if it did there is a one more bathroom break where he pees pus oh Ugh, it sucks oh, god we just had to remind everybody how bad it is before he goes to do this terrible idea would one of you guys like yeah. to share what this terrible idea sure. is so paul has a temperature probably very dangerous mm-hmm. like medically dangerous yeah. temperature mm-hmm. should be hospitalized and john coffee's like i need to talk to you and he's like well you're gonna have to wait because you know i'm the only one here i can't do it he's like no i need to talk to you and he's more alert like he's more there mm-hmm. paul feels like and so like you said josh he knows that it's against regulations and for a very good reason and it's a terrible idea and even Dell's like hey (laughs) what are you doing man look at what just happened when you didn't follow protocol but he's he has been taken with coffee this whole time he has responded to him differently than he has any other prisoner and so he goes on in and then the most insane (laughs) thing happens like I wish I could I could experience this again for the first time because I've you know seen the movie and stuff, mm-hmm. so I was aware. But he, coffee, from Paul's perspective, just plunges his hand into his crotch. Oh man! <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, what are you?" And before he can like really react, but he does get out like a yell, so Dell knows something is going yeah. on. Coffee does something crazy. I lo- it's described at almost like electricity, mm-hmm. but. It doesn't feel like anything, mm-hmm. which that 
the <laughs> idea of your body jerking as though it's being electrocuted, but not feeling electricity or feeling a heat or something has got to be so fucking strange. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. And again, like Ben, you said this last episode, so I will repeat it. I hate referencing a worse book. But it reminds me of from a Buick 8 yep. when they're mm. running to the shed and it's like lighting up and but they're yelling. Silent. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they think it's loud, but it's not. And we also That's also kind of the way the after effect deteriorates into white and crumbles away reminded me of from Buick 8 also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he convulses a little bit. And when he lets go, when Coffee lets go, it's like the world comes back into focus in a brand new way for Paul and he doesn't realize right away that he feels no discomfort because when he looks at coffee coffee's doubled over and he looks like he's choking on something and he coughs out a bunch of gnats a cloud of something that looks <laughs> like they could be bugs yeah 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 we yeah. love Tom Gordon <laughs> it is I I wish I could go back and like <laughs> ask my dad what he felt when he first read this because yeah. it's so when straightforward up to this point it's book three and <laughs> there have been not even a faint towards mm-hmm. anything supernatural yeah. unless you count a smart mouse and this is different <laughs> <laughs> one of our listeners i believe michelle referenced kind of what I was feeling too. This is a very rose matter. Like it pulls the rug out from under you mm-hmm. as far as what what kind of story you think you're getting and that it doesn't play it like it's going to turn supernatural or fantastic at all. And I love it. And that's I, I think that's what makes books like Rose Matter and The Green Mile so special because it surprises you, but it's so well done and it fits mm-hmm. that you just enjoy it a lot. And the the visual of it mm-hmm. is so, I mean, from the movie, like, iconic, mm-hmm. just spitting out this cloud of bugs. In the book, it, it's such a weird, like, moment of magical realism where you're like, up to this point, I believe these are just normal people. Mm-hmm. And then something this strange happens, it makes you question, like, is... <sighs> What level of reality is this book really taking yeah. place in? Is that the, me? This Just is me? when I knew it wasn't based on a true story when <laughs> I was watching the movie. By the way, this is when I figured it, it wasn't Thank a true goodness. story. <laughs> <laughs> For a second. Like, after, I, it wasn't until after it was all over that I was like, is it a true story? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do also like God, that that's funny. Paul describes the absence of pain the way he does because I'm sure we've all felt it. I won't speak for you guys, but I have been in such excruciating pain and then it stopped and you do feel almost euphoric. Just the absence of that pain. It's like you're high. It's amazing. It's, I have that feeling every day, every day, (laughs) every day. I have that feeling every time like I'm just getting over being sick. That first day where you're like, I can do it's, anything. It's the level of sick where you're like, I've been so sick for so long, I will never not be sick. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I can breathe out of my nose today. This is weird. And then you clean the whole house and then you get sick again. Because you should have just rested. I think that one's just you. Oh. Yeah. So, you know what? We're just going to go back to Buick 8 one more time. I don't know why this is happening to us. But... Uh, It did make me think of it in that after this moment, Paul knows he was just part of a miracle. Mm -hmm. He witnessed something incredible. And the fact that he 
the source of this miraculous healing is right there. And Paul's able to say, how did you do that? And Coffee just shakes his head from side to side. Mm -hmm. No fucking idea. He does say something important, though, that is going to stick with Paul and he'll understand it later, which is, I helped it, didn't I? It's so sincere. Mm -hmm. I love it. And of course, he has to go take his dick for a test drive. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he's like, I don't have to pee that bad, but I made myself pee. Just because I was sure it was all... Recreationally. Yeah. (laughs) But I like that he was positive he was going to start peeing and the... Uh, fascination that had come over him would be gone and it would be the pain would be back. I mean, no, I don't like speaking of dicks so much on the show and it not being funny. This is like a boner <laughs> <It's> flop. Tr- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not fun when it's just a sincere yes. part of the plot line, uh, a rare plot important boner talk. <laughs> This boner talk is canon. Stephen King just made this guy's penis important. And that (laughs) irritates me in a strange way. You know what will infuriate you less? Let's talk about religion. (laughs) Because this is where we get Paul reflecting on his upbringing. Because at Mm -hmm. first we're just kind of given hints that he's a religious guy, all this. But it turns out he has more of a revival-esque background as far as religion did that surprise either of you guys yeah i i didn't expect it to come up so much like in this part especially Mm -hmm. but it it wasn't in such an obnoxious way it was in a way i didn't entirely agree with the whole time (laughs) but paul is a character too who you feel like just also is a good person and has good morals that I don't associate with being religious. I just associate that with people being strong and having good morals. And some are also happen to have faith in one thing or the other. So it didn't bother me, but it it is, it gets a lot. He is Bible boy. Paul is such an interesting character. Cause yeah, I, like you said, Sam, he is not a character I always agree with. Mm I don't think he's a particularly good person, honestly. I think this story is the story of him becoming a better person. Because this is the story of him through the story of John Coffey realizing, oh, maybe maybe what I am doing here on the Green Mile is not a Mm. great thing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, But no, I was not... He he seems so real in that, like... So sincere. That... I believe him as a religious man in the 40s. He doesn't use it as a weapon like like Miss Carmody, for example. Yeah, but I I wasn't surprised because in the first section of the book, there's the section where he's talking about Dell and the other people and says, without a bit of wavering, these men are going to hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very Old Testament, Very Old Testament, Mm -hmm. like very Southern Baptist kind of like this is just the way it is which again i don't agree with that sentiment but he seems it's in such a real way and he's also complicated because you can feel that kind of like old-timey conservative bent to this character but then there are moments where like when he this is skipping ahead quite a bit when he breaks down Mm -hmm. on on his wife when his wife asked him what happened later mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to it <laughs> and he like allows himself to break down and there's that like very masculine like oh i knew that in this moment i wasn't being 
what men should be. But the like genuine sincerity and caring between them, him and his wife, mm-hmm. is like yeah. uh, he he thanks her for like being there and, and allowing him this. I think King has to write it that way though too to make the character feel genuine to yeah. us. So it's like his way of of being true to what a man of that yeah. era typically, yeah. not all of them, but typically would be like, but also acknowledging that wasn't the best way yeah. to be. Yeah. And like men just, and women, like everybody's improved in their emotional growth yeah. over the he, decades. He's just, it feels like yeah. a very complex character, Absolutely. Yeah. which is, I, I love. It was just the, it makes sense that going to uh, churches that, you know, are the spontaneous healing. He tells the story about a Evangelical. guy. Yeah. Who <laughs> accidentally cut off his son's pinky with an ax and prayed so hard the pinky grew back. Okay, I got so hung up on that. I, was like, <laughs> I would need to see the pinky yes. before and after. Exactly. <laughs> Show me that pinky. Show dot me com. that pinky. Oh, it's an only fans thing. <laughs> oh, is that, uh, yeah, my, my mistake. <laughs> I like that when I think of those religious characters, I think of the more traditional and less this version, which makes sense why, even though he's raised that devout, the idea of miracle healings are something he has. Yeah, he's not in questioning his, his faith when yeah. this happens. And they like that he, while he clearly doesn't agree with all of the religious stuff that he was taught, the things that he's chosen to kind of hold on to and internalize, I think are interesting. One of them being if God saves you, it's your responsibility to ask why. And I think that is super interesting for him because it's not. He didn't save his life, but he did see he, he could have. And do you think that he has that perspective because he deals in death? So it's it just seems like such a finite kind of pointless sometimes, I'm sure, thing. So he I feel like he looks at death differently. So if something miraculous does happen because he knows what it looks like to go the other way, that you should place some sort of importance or meaning on that. It was like the woman in part one that was let off death row. She, the article talks about that she saved the town library. She, she was saved by God and that the reason was to do good Except for the she's community. still a murderer. Except for her Paul. eyes are still crazy. Because uh, she's a woman. Well, They have yeah. devil eyes, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I think that's, it's fascinating. It's very cool. He is very obsessed with who coffee is because we had that info dump early on, but here's where we find out where he got a lot of the information Mm -hmm. that we know now. And that's by driving to Tefton to meet with the reporter who wrote all about John coffee. Mr. Hammersmith, uh, first impressions of Mr. Hammersmith guys. What a piece of shit. What a piece of shit. This is such a rough scene to get through. Cause he drives 50 miles to meet this guy. And I feel like the piece of shit, part we're referring to is how upsettingly racist this guy is and he thinks he's not but we'll get to that part (laughs) yeah he's he has these two kids and a wife and paul is picking up on all these kind of weird things that don't mean anything to him in that moment but he's very observant and he notices oh they have a dog house although he doesn't see the dog but the dog could just be out somewhere doing something and the guy has two kids and they look about the same age. So maybe they're twins and boy, wouldn't that be rough considering what he had to report on with the twins that coffee was with. 
And his wife comes out and she tries to comfort her husband for a moment or just show like affection and put her hand on his shoulder. He doesn't even acknowledge her. She just eventually removes it. And he's he's very standoffish at first. And I understand that part of it. Like he doesn't know why Paul's the, there. The at first reason really makes sense when he yeah. answers the question because he asks Paul, like, what do you want to know? And Paul says... I want to know what didn't make the paper Mm. and his gut response is to say, Oh, so you want to know like what they looked like, what like, cause that's, he's expecting that vulture attitude yeah, and is surprised when that's not it. I, I don't like that. It didn't seem like he was disapproving enough of somebody coming to want those gory details. That didn't sit well with me very much. I took it as, and maybe I just took it, a different way um him being more just kind of stoic like i feel like he would have very quietly and calmly kicked paul the fuck off his porch if he if that's what he was after sure he that doesn't seem sense. like i any, hope so yeah <laughs> paul uh, essentially is just asking if there if there's any chance it's the wrong guy because in his head he can't believe that this ability would be put into the hands of somebody who would hurt kids mm-hmm. obviously i guess that is kind of a crisis of faith yeah in a way And finding out that he has a non-existent past, pretty much, it's just more of the details that we don't know where he came from. There are vague reports he might have been working here, he might have ridden the rail here. We just don't know. And fascinating because he's someone who would stand out. Right. People, everybody who ever saw him would remember seeing him. And there's the details about the scars, which... I was very mm-hmm. embarrassed that the book had to explain to me <laughs> why that was important because it just took me too long. It's okay, it took me long too. Yeah, uh, they point out the the numerous scars. There's no, there's so many, so severe. That there's never been documentation anywhere that they could find. But they also used all those scars in the trial as evidence that he was raised in a battered way, and that means he's a violent criminal. Yeah, because of the way the scars look now, they were done when he was young, and then as he grew, they stretch and change. Yeah, that was yeah, that was just a bit gross feeling. Yeah. Uh, now let's talk about the the dog comparison because it's um it's disgusting. And at first, at first, I was in such a like give it grace mode that I was willing to think, oh, he didn't think this metaphor through. And it becomes all too clear. This metaphor is very pointed. It it was one of those things for me, similar to you, like he started in on it and I was like, oh no. No, this, this is the first time that in the book that I was like, oh yeah, this we're in the forties in the South. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to take us through it, Ben? Not particularly. <laughs> His <laughs> argument is not something we need to uh, elaborate to on give, or give, to give space any to. to no. Yes, um, he can say what happens. Dehumanizes uh, dehumanizing racist argument, mm-hmm. but in doing so, he tells a story. He brings out his son, who is horribly, horribly disfigured on his face, and it is because his son was bitten by a dog. Uh, their dog. And this man said, without hesitation, I put him down because who knows if if they're going to strike once they could strike at any time. And uh, they is aimed at a very specific group of people. And mm-hmm. I fucking hate this guy. The fact that basically at the end of it, the 
adamancy that he has about coffee has to be coffee is the monster. You just see him docile right now, but he'd uh, kill you given the chance and realizing that that is not about specifically the crime he committed, just of mm-hmm. the way he looks. And it's I like it's so hard also when Paul has such unkind thoughts of when he sees the boy's face, he in his internal monologue, he's like this kid is mm-hmm. never going to have sex he doesn't pay for. He's never going to dance or kiss a girl. Like it's He's not like, going to have a normal life. He's going to think ugly every day he wakes up and looks in the mirror. And it's just, it, it's a lot of dehumanization. It's interesting, though, because I think it effectively tells us how badly he was mangled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the uh, <laughs> they leave that conversation with very uh, little progress having been made. And we find out that Wild Bill is back to his old bullshit. The next day, he just decides to take a piss on one of the guards. This happened to me at work. Oh, I, no! I was going to say, it is something, mm-hmm. this is something that bothers me, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to relitigate our uh, discussion <laughs> from last week. I'm still doing my own research into prison abolition, but, unpopular opinion, if someone pisses on you, they don't deserve um, human rights violations. Uh, they terrorize this guy the because he peed on their legs i get peed on all the time at work it is a part of the job and you go that sucks and you deal with it it i it sucks <laughs> sure and I, it's hard because the billy the kid is an objectively terrible human being he right. is the worst obviously but i it I reading this section, I'm like, you're supposed to be like, yeah, they're really getting him good. He is already on death row. Yeah. You got him good. The, they like, blast oh, him he's going to call hose. your names and <laughs> like try just. Yeah. It's it, written as though this is more about establishing dominance. Mm-hmm. And that makes it inherently more cruel. Because that's kind of the culture mm-hmm. of the prison system because they think they they have these really violent people and they need to do whatever they can to make them stop having that violent behavior and, and it's very punitive yeah yeah that's a great word mm-hmm. um also fuck this guy <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yes. yeah for like, sure fuck this guy for sure <laughs> definitely you, would it be better to pee back on him <laughs> no. would that be less uh, violation of well th- that's something the if this were not on death row probably would be would mean going into solitary sure you uh, assault a guard you end up in solitary that's mm-hmm. something that usually happens it's the being blasted with a fire hose and wrestled to the ground into the straight jacket and <laughs> like that. Yeah. When the other option was just let him be in his cell. Like it's not worse. It is punitive, punitive. Like how is getting him to be docile? Just avoid his cell more. Like, <laughs> That's also going, true. You are going to kill this man. Locking him in a room so he yells at you less for a few weeks is... I do see, though, that why... Granted, we have to look at this through the era of... Sure. uh, When it's written. That they know they're going to have him for a long time. This isn't like the normal Mm -hmm. people they get where they'll have them for a few weeks. 
maybe a few months. They're led to believe it could be over <laughs> a year before this guy's out of their hair. I could see why they would correct way too hard. It's funny because being a behavior analyst, board certified, thank you. It's what I see in here is them using punishment procedures to try to stop the behavior mm -hmm. because in a prison, it's not set up that way. People would be like, what the fuck are you doing? They're not using reinforcement, mm -hmm. trying to focus on like getting him to do what's right and follow along with the rules. And that's just like, that's not what prisons are for because they're privately yeah. owned facilities. Mm -hmm. And this corporal punishment does not solve behavior issues. It does. Although I man, you guys again, like this book is going to make me such a hypocrite. We don't have to talk about this, but I'm just going to put it out there. It's going to come up again and again. Percy, as we go through, I hate him more than I hate the mm -hmm. child murdering and whatever else the other guys have done. Like he's so despicable. Like King makes you despise this guy more. He makes the prisoners more human. Like not Billy the Kid or Wild Bill. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he would hate that. Not Wild Bill because he just seems like an animal. But it there are things that happen with Percy later that like I took joy in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's hard yeah it's it, the whole subject is hard and yeah. uh, uh there have been a lot of people reaching out to us on on social and whatnot saying that they look forward to the continued discussion we're not going there this week i am <laughs> i am currently in the middle of three different audiobooks <laughs> on the subject ass. i'm trying it's heavy reading y'all uh i do have a reading list if you would like yeah. to yeah follow while along. you're pulling that up also thank you to all the listeners because i asked for you guys to show us and yourselves and everybody who's confused about this some grace and figuring out what we think about it and everybody's been super kind yes. yeah and also honest about like yeah this is like a weird thing to try to figure out mm -hmm. yeah um so if you would like to to read along with me i am uh currently reading the new jim crow by michelle alexander just Mercy by Brian Stevenson and Rethinking Incarceration by, and I apologize if I butcher this name, Dominique Dubois-Gilliard or Gilliard, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll post those online. Yeah. And uh, if you want to talk about them, get on our Discord. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And maybe CMU as, you know, a behavioral analyst, because the, the punishment it was purely about punishment and not correcting behavior. The thing that's interesting is that it drives Billy to become more creative. And thus we get the moon pie incident. Okay. This is, the, <laughs> sorry, so this is why we use reinforcement, not punishment schools. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to use punishment, but those are the exception, not the rule. So, well, in punishment for anybody who is in the mm -hmm. know, I'm not talking about like reprimands, natural consequences, restoration, overcorrection, or response blocking. What I'm talking about is more what they're doing here. So punishment is shown to be effective at more quickly stopping the behavior. So the behavior quicker than with reinforcement will stop. But the downside of punishment is that lack of that behavior is not long term. You have a better chance of that behavior changing permanently with reinforcement procedures over punishment. So if it's something that is truly, truly unsafe, I could see people resorting to a punishment procedure to just get that to stop right now. But then you would introduce reinforcement for the appropriate behavior because you're just going to have like that, that behavior that was extinguished by punishment is going to spontaneously recover. 
and, and it does. get more creative, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. The idea, I just love that he bought a contraband moon pie he wasn't supposed to have and then held it in his mouth until it liquefied. I could never. <laughs> I could never. I'd have to have one to eat and one to waste. I could never, like, not swallow sure, something yeah. delicious. <laughs> uh, on a lighter note, Melinda Morris has come home to die. On a lighter note. This this book, I have to use that because the book doesn't ever get lighter. I feel <laughs> that is true. Uh, we learned last time that she, the, everybody was very impressed about the scans she got, but they are sending her home with medication to die. Mm-hmm. And on this evening, Paul and his wife come over and spend uh, a dinner evening with them. Uh, do you guys have any feelings about that dinner scene? Or that visit scene, not a dinner. Depressing as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, we, we know where this is all leading, of course. So it's, you do still kind of have hope. Because I think even, like, readers at this point, maybe, are like, oh, <laughs> maybe Paul's going to have an idea. <laughs> the fact that as he's looking at her, he just keeps thinking, I helped, helped. it, didn't yeah. I? And then, he keeps thinking about his dick as and he's then looking he, at her. Yep. <laughs> looking at that waste annoying woman thinking about his dick. And then he goes home and he thinks about John Coffey while having sex with his wife. <laughs> Can we spend a minute on this Stephen King sex scene? <laughs> you guys, yes. what did you think? Was this uh, well written? Was like it all erotic? Stephen, Was like, it <laughs> like all Stephen hey. King sex scenes? I checked out. Well, anytime I get to read about being surrounded by someone's oh yeah <laughs> wow finish the sentence Whoa. Wait. finish the sentence <laughs> i was gonna say wetness but because as, i couldn't remember if that's the word he uses or not or he he says some very visceral <laughs> world like, like i slid into her slick slickness hotness the, i don't know uh, <laughs> like, hotness is not it <laughs> No, I think I think uh, that's a great uh, way to describe sex. Though. Get in the slick hotness. Uh, I gotta get in that new hotness. Um, <laughs> so no, it's bad. Sounds yeah, like I, a, imagine Tom Hanks like, yeah, you helped it, didn't you? Sounds like a fifties Vegas gambler mobster character. <laughs> slick hotness. Hit the tables. <laughs> Can that be my gangster name? Slick Hotness? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't know if that's good or bad. We won't tell people that it's well, that a reference to... No one will ever know where it came from. <laughs> Luckily, these conversations stay between us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what were we on? Now we are to the rehearsal for Dell's execution. First things first... I get that Dell's stupid, (laughs) but the idea that he knows they do rehearsals for the execution and he's just, oh, yeah, the temporary warden and high staff want to see a circus show from my mouse. Fully believable. I'm full in. And that's how they get him out. He is so obsessed with that mouse. I buy it 100 percent. It's because he's always like, guys, look at what Mr. Jingles is doing. So Dell is such an interesting character as well. I, I, so <laughs> yeah. All of these characters, but like the balance that he that King tries to pull, I think, of making Dell as sympathetic as he is while mm-hmm. still remembering this one terrible act that he did. Yeah. And he only did one because he's in jail. Yeah. 
very pissed off about the Dell thing. <laughs> yeah, he he keeps saying that like, oh well, if now that he's here, he's so docile and he's so hard. Yeah, because there aren't any and... little girls to rape and murder. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Fucking. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's the the sympathetic angle because they go out of their way to making Dell's last few days as over-the-top good as they could be in the situation, it is so... <laughs> it is such expert emotional manipulation yeah. on yeah. King's Are they part. doing that for Dell or for themselves, though? Because I don't know what it's like to... Like, even though it's your job and the state's telling you to do it, to kill someone. Right. Like, so I, I wondered well, if they do these things to to humanize themselves not necessarily humanize a prisoner that that's the thing is i didn't think about why the characters were doing it at all i was just like oh this is king doing everything he can to be like man look at how great how well they're treating dell they're making sure that his last few days they're going out of their way he gets a circus he gets to perform for people they tell him about Mouse Land. Mouseville. Mouseville. Mouse Disney World. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, they're going to take him to special Mouse Disney World when, when he's <laughs> gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they do all of this to like. And I didn't think about why the characters would go out of their way. Because I knew that it was just King being like, we're going to make sure that when, I, when, when the other shoe drops, you feel as bad as possible. <laughs> I'm gonna spoiler uh, didn't. I'm gonna say <laughs> two things in favor of Percy. Wow. Why? Uh, just because they stood out to me as very interesting. Uh, first thing is that Percy's 21, and movie Percy is certainly not 21, mm-hmm. and that's the age I always imagine this character. So when it was, it's mentioned that he's 21. So much of his behavior comes into a different kind of focus like that he's still it's disgusting that Percy is the way he is at the age he is in the movie because it means he's lived his whole life that way and never changed given many many opportunities given the opportunities Mm -hmm. of time this Percy comes off as somebody who's been raised entitled and is still not lived enough of a life to learn not to be a piece of shit because his whole life has been sheltered and taken care of, and he's been able to be this monster his whole life, because he's only 21. Just think that's interesting. The second thing is that I think the other guards feel bad because they think of Dell as a pet also, just not the same way Percy mm. does. Yes. That's interesting. Absolutely. And, that, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fascination of Mr. Jingles. Honestly, had Mr. Jingles attached himself to anybody who wasn't a wild monster like Wild Bill, Mm -hmm. they probably would have come to have a favorable opinion of that person too. Just a theory. Hmm. But it's it to me reflects a little bit of the, what Paul is kind of experiencing, realizing that like, hey, none of us are the good guys Mm -hmm. on this side of the mile necessarily. Such a complicated book. (laughs) (laughs) So they do the rehearsal, and the most annoying part about this is that Percy is teachable in this moment. He's mm-hmm. showing all of the signs they've been wanting from him. God, doesn't Paul say, 
oh, when he's doing something he loves, which is gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's that. <laughs> Nobody should want to do that. <laughs> it's Well, he has that reaction of like, finally, he he's showing the promise. We wanted him to take this seriously. Oh, it's because he loves that he's. Oh, shit. I hate that. That's what he loves. And that's why he's good. <laughs> Like he catches himself before he can give him all the, get him any credit. And this is where the, the dominoes of what happens to Dell can be traced back to so many things, Hmm. but here is where it all really, really starts. And that is when he comes back to the cell, Percy makes a joke about grabbing for him. Dell trips backwards over Brutus's foot, falls down, and then runs off scampering. And Percy, who's in a great mood because he just practiced killing Dell, and Dell has no idea, is chasing after him. And Paul thinks maybe to actually apologize. Well, because he's saying, "Hey, Dell, I was no. yeah." Ugh. And he wanders too close to Wild Bill's cell, and Wild Bill's faster than anybody realizes. This is gross. <laughs> Wild Bill grabs Percy and immediately objectifies him. <laughs> Hard. The, the fucking gay panic in this sucks mm-hmm. uh, because in this moment, Wild Bill is the like starts like crooning and like caressing Percy. It is and kisses his ear. The the stereotype I I... of what Percy was like a beating uh, Dell mm-hmm. for is uh, the believing in. The this like aggressive homosexual that's gonna get you, and you realize that like no that person doesn't exist like that that is a stereotype that does not exist it is just a thing that homophobes create so they they can hate people but then King's like no this character is that this no. this character is the uh, I, aggressive uh, gay man I don't think that threat. that's what it well, I think that Bill I think Wild Bill knew what to say to get in his head like that. Like Except he, that later in the book, uh, Paul and Brutal threaten Percy yes. with throwing him to be raped, which is... I know they're uh, thrown to, to be raped. Yeah, he, they say it's... This is, once again, yeah. skipping ahead. When they are confronting him in the tunnels right. below, uh, below, they say, we will make sure that you get to know wild bill okay so sorry this is i think it's because i'm a woman when he grabbed him mm-hmm. and he was objectifying him i was thinking of it from like <laughs> if that had happened to me a woman mm-hmm. and so it didn't even cross my mind that it was homophobic it, it it's uh, well i mean it's just the the using the threat of uh, a gay man in media is yeah. it's not great but before they can before the other officers can get their hands on Bill. He lets go and he backs away and he's like, "I'm kidding. I wasn't. I'm not doing anything." And Percy runs to the other side of the mile and is obvious in so much panic. And then Dell starts laughing because he peed his pants, which is funny. I mean, <laughs> I, I would have laughed. I love that. And he's like, "If you guys tell anybody about this, you'll all be fired." And uh. Paul's like, yeah, that makes you look cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Paul's like, if anybody did find out about it, you have a very unfortunate name for that. And so I've taken it upon (laughs) myself to uh, type up just a few names that I think I if I were working with Percy and I found this out. So I'm going to I'm going to do them 
from favorite to least favorite. Okay. Because I <laughs> I don't know why. So first, pissy wet pants. Yeah. For sure. PP wet moist. <laughs> and Percy wet more likely than not. <laughs> Actually, I feel like that was the reverse. Like I liked when the same went on. <laughs> we touched a base a, a little bit, but before we move on to the execution, did you guys have any thoughts about that final talk with Dell about Mouseville and Brutal giving that pitch? Besides what we've already talked about, no, I, it was just you know obviously also to make me feel sympathy for I think the only character I know at this point in the book deserves it. And that's <laughs> Mr. Jingles. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, in all this excitement, they Dell's been still playing with the spool and he throws it too hard. The spool runs into the hallway. Mr. Jingles chases it and Percy's back and he brings the heel of his boot down on the back of the mouse. And this is where book three stops. So imagine reading this as it came out mm. and the mouse like, gets crushed at the end. Yeah. That is, I thought about that when I heard it and I was like, thank God I get to just move on to book four <laughs> because like I, even though I know <laughs> the mouse is going to be okay, I can't stand leaving it hanging that he's dead right now. <laughs> and the way Percy is just so cold about, mm -hmm. I knew I'd get him eventually and turns on his heels and walks away. It's and uh, Paul and Brutal and everybody are like staring in disbelief. They can't even react because it's just so cruel and unnecessary the amount of times since they started the rehearsal for Dell's murder that they've said we keep them calm mm -hmm. that's all about keeping them calm all right we're gonna go to chapter four or book four we get our chapter one recap but let's talk about the narrative that's starting to take shape here in georgia pines this this part's hard to read we're we're with paul we didn't talk about this earlier. He'd had like a moment where he was watching something when book, book three started mm -hmm. and saw in a character, Billy the Kid or Wild Bill yeah. doing that. And like just kind of had like a, a almost fainted, I guess you could say. And his lady friend found him. And I'm just mentioning that because she encouraged him to continue writing. Like it seems like you need to get something out. Keep doing it. So now when we're in book four, he is kind of gearing up to start his day and get breakfast and then find a place to write. But unfortunately, he has a run-in with the Percy of Orderlies. After taking a walk to a shed, that it's mm -hmm. not explained what's happening in the shed. Smoking pot. Oh, That's hell yeah. That, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, this fucking orderly giving all of the Percy energy, grabbing. He's Paul had put on a raincoat that is for staff. And he gives him a hard time and he is standing there waiting and watching for Paul to mm -hmm. come back. It was not an accident. And he's cruel. Mm -hmm. and that he treats him with such disrespect because he basically says old people shouldn't have secrets and I can tell you have a secret. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that makes me furious. Yeah. Because it's nonsense? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Old people shouldn't have secrets. Everybody what? has secrets. Stupid thing. His lady friend saw this through the window and then she's like, hey, he asked me about you and I didn't think anything about it at the time. But after what I saw, like he is out to get you for yeah. some reason. So we'll pick up more about that later on. But before we do, let's go back to the prison and talk about the resurrection of Mr. Jingles. It's so good. <laughs> ben, you want to take it away? It's uh, Percy 
struts off proud of himself like an asshole. And Dell is wailing at the, he's at the bars, his arms sticking out, waving around like a madman. When Paul looks up and realizes that across the the hall, John Coffey is also standing at the bars with his hands out, perfectly still looking him in the eye. And he says, give him here. And Paul, without questioning it, goes, oh, yeah. Like he's hypnotized. This yeah. is the second time he references that. Yeah. yeah and he, he's like, even as he's doing it, because he picks up Mr. Jingle's body and he says he can feel feel mm. it like a pin cushion a fur with a covered yeah. pin cushion oh, yeah. so oh. the bones broken he's like there's no mm. i i know what john coffee did for me i know that he can do things he should not be able to oh but i don't think he this there's nothing to be done here. does that mean paul's penis is smaller than a mouse <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. Why <laughs> would it mean that? Because oh, I was thinking, well, um, he healed his penis. I'm like, oh, oh, but maybe if his dick is smaller than a mouse, he thinks like. <laughs> Hold on. You realize his penis wasn't the thing infected, right? The, his, I don't know how those were. His penis wasn't broken. There was a, it killed the, the infection Josh, is smaller than a mouse. You're ruining my moments. <laughs> ruining my moments. That's so great. I love anyway. that so much. Uh, Paul <laughs> picks up Mr. Jingles and gives it to John, and John His penis cups. is Mr. Dangles. Anyway. <laughs> Just keep going, Ben. I can't. <laughs> <Mr>. Dangles. <sighs> um, he, he cups the mouse in his hands, and they can see the tail. The, the cool. Mr. Jingles' it. tail is hanging out from between his hands, and as this is happening, the tail starts to twitch and and move. And when he... Like he breathes in the yeah, death? Yeah, the whatever, broken bones, and releases the mouse and breathes out this cloud of bugs, question mark, that is, is so thick it obscures his features yeah. as it swirls around his head. Uh, and now in front of all the everybody guards. Sees everybody it. sees yeah. it yes. now. Uh, which is also very cool. Yeah. Like, it, there are so many books that would just be like, oh, this is like a secret thing. This mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. he has to convince everyone. But no, everyone is just witness mm-hmm. to this. And when John Coffey finally coughs up this death cloud, he sets Mr. Jingles down. And Mr. Jingles, still covered in its own blood, Scampers off. Yeah, runs right over to Dell. a little bit of a limp, but he's alive. I love that it's the limp that makes <laughs> yeah. it real. Yeah, that's, that's such cool. a fucking cool detail. I love, even if it makes me a piece of shit, I love what happens next. Oh, yeah, when Paul and Myrtle yes. walk in on it's Percy so waxing his it big juicy. very satisfying. Um, I, I hear you. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know if this is the point, but that does remind me to ask you guys, is, is Percy a greaser? <laughs> he's, yeah, he's not kind of a greaser. He's always he's always like brushing his hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His hair is slicked back. He is multiple times they talk about how pretty he is. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine Percy Wetmore as like a James Dean wannabe. Yes. He's he's a greaser, but he doesn't even have the positive aspect of knowing about cars. <laughs> I got one. Percy Wentmore. <laughs> 
You guys, that seemed yeah. like a pity laugh. I, it's just the fact that it came ten minutes is, late yeah. is is extremely good. <laughs> oh my um, goodness! Yeah, they they confront Percy and they're like, "Hey, you dumb piece of shit!" <laughs> it's so good. You're uh, as bad at killing you, mice as you are at everything else yeah, you do. Yeah, you were. That was a yes, real I asshole cheered. move. I was like, Ooh. And you're a failure. <laughs> uh, and Percy immediately is like furious. Ooh, ooh, ooh! But then what they do next? Uh, they Paul picks him up <laughs> to put him on the platform with Big Juicy. Oh yeah, that they, they like push him back, just like walk him back until his knees hit the chair and he sits down hard. <laughs> and they talk about you know all of the energy to the chair is cut off three different ways. There's no way. But just the wood of the chair. Well, Ben, has you its said that chair is fucking exactly. haunted. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a it's such mm-hmm. a good threat. Yes. <laughs> like, it's but it's once again this is what the fourth time that it's Percy, you are definitely transferring after this. Mm-hmm. So while it is severe, there are no new stakes. Well, it's more overt though, because That's true. They're finally he did able to let him, him have brutal, it. But he's like you're going to leave or, yeah, we're going to make sure that you are not okay ever again. <laughs> well, now that they can use the Bill Wharton mm-hmm. incident against him, if the, he wants to drag it out into the open, they will. And they make sure they's like, it'll follow you long after you no longer have a relative in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Finally, Dell's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad death. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> It's around 11 p.m. when the witnesses start arriving, and it is over 80 degrees on this October night. So this shed-like area that is being used is already so hot, and there are, it sounds like a lot of people coming. 25 people coming to this execution. And at 11.30, they start getting Dell. As Paul starts his speech, Dell interrupts him to give him Mr. Jingles. <laughs> He's like, I would take him, but how am I going to do an execution with a mouse on me? <laughs> I, yeah, I love would <laughs> love that, though. Like, I, I wouldn't go to an execution, but if I ever was at one and the guy came out with a mouse, he'd be like, what's happening? Yeah, I love that he, he just reaches out and Mr. Jingles scurries onto his shoulder yeah. and sits there. It's so mm-hmm. un, unnatural for, uh, for a wild mouse. Yeah. It gives you that, like, oh, there's something here. Mm-hmm. Dell cries at the goodbye. He blows Mr. Jingles a kiss, and it's just one of those, it would be funny if it wasn't so sincere. Mm-hmm. But the moment I loved is how, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say subtle, I guess, but the fact that once we start on this page, every time Dell does something, it's specified for the last time. Mm-hmm. He says goodbye mm-hmm. to Mr. Jingles for the last time. He exits his cell for the last time. And it's so crazy. With as many deaths as we get in King books, you rarely know so many last mm-hmm. times are happening at once. And I think that's a cool not countdown countdown mm-hmm. that yeah. I really enjoyed. But the real kick in the ass. Let's go back to the job is keeping them calm. <laughs> they walk into the room and Dell sees that Percy is standing next to the chair. I can't blame him for the reaction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That he's upset because this guy has terrorized him. 
how the first thing going through my head would be like, what is he going to do to make this worse? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And Paul gives him the same pep talk he gave to Bitterbuck of they're going to remember how you go out and make it a good one. You know what? I thought about this. Yeah. Fuck that. That's no, I mean, yeah, that's for sure. so fucking stupid. Well, no, Bitterbuck, it, it makes sense because his family. Sure. That, but the, for Dell, that does not make but sense. It, it's such a bullshit. Excuse <laughs> like, Come on, man. <laughs> Do it so we think highly of you. You're putting me to death. You're yeah. like, you're. I don't give a <laughs> shit if you, you know, but again, think that's, I went That's why I think dignity. it's more about them than Fuck the prisoners. Dignity. Because mm-hmm. imagine putting someone to death who you have to fight every second to get that person in the chair and strapped in and they're screaming and throwing a fit. Like, yeah. I think they want to keep them well, calm. Obviously. Yeah, but I just mean, I like, I get... I'm just saying, if I'm being put in the chair and someone says, hey, you're gonna, let, <laughs> you're, you won't be manipulated. Go out again. And I'll be like, I don't give a shit what these people think. I'm going to try and headbutt you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm about to face oblivion. Yeah. What the fuck do I care if Nancy, who comes and wants to watch a man die, <laughs> thinks I went out with dignity. Fuck dignity. I'm going to try and spit on you. <laughs> Dell takes the opportunity to apologize uh, to the witnesses uh, as they strap him in. They get everything ready and Percy can't resist taking one more shot. And he has to go. He whispers to Dell that Mouseville doesn't exist. Do you think he was smart enough to do that so that Paul and Brutal and everybody think that that's what he was doing? And so they don't expect him to do yet another thing to sabotage it? I think it's blind cruelty. Yeah. Okay. I think he just wanted to. Uh, I guess King was smart him. enough to do that to make us think that yeah. that's what he was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing Paul can do because the crowd is there and he has to let Percy look like he's in charge. And he's so upset he doesn't notice the next move. And that is instead of bringing the sponge to the cap, Percy brought the cap to the sponge and wouldn't fought off any attempts to help him put it on there, had shoot his back everybody to away. Them. Had, yeah, he was standing in the way. And it's not until we're rolling on one and things are about to go down that Paul realizes that there's no water running down the mask. Percy has not wet the sponge that we talked about in, I think, the first episode. Yeah, that it's, is the it's conductor. The conduit <laughs> that lets the electricity mm-hmm. go straight into your brain and fry you and, and be done. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's nothing he can do. He, oh, I love that he, when he sees it, he reaches out to Percy thinking it's an honest mistake. And when Percy pulls himself away from being grabbed is the moment he realizes this shit is. Okay, agree or disagree. He could have, because he thinks, oh, I could have screamed stop. And a a second later, I might have. He could have at that point just been like, wouldn't it be better to like have a hiccup and stop Mm -hmm. and people see that than what happened? Yeah, but I think we're talking about the matter of like two seconds. Yeah, and if he was. If that. Yeah, if he yeah. had the wherewithal to get through the panic to the idea mm, of okay. stopping. It felt long in the book. It definitely <laughs> feels. And I think every second of this execution does. I mean, at the end, we find out it's been two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like this whole book is almost in two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh boy, we roll. Guys, Who? What do you want to talk about? I- I have to believe that this is bullshit. <laughs> I, for, for my mental, uh, because what happens is they throw the switch and immediately Paul's like, something's wrong. Because instead of the one big thrust of the electricity, he starts jumping and 
and bucking against the chair. So hard that he breaks bones. And smoke starts rolling out of the mask because he is catching on fire internally. They hear his eye pop inside the mask. It's bad. It's all bad. But the thing I have to believe of bullshit is that he screams the whole time. Yeah. And Paul speculates that he was uh, uh, aware and conscious through this entire thing. And your brain's just made of electricity, y'all. I have to believe (laughs) that after at max 30 seconds, there's no consciousness left. But... I was too scared to look it up. Because if I found out that it was possible to electrocute yourself for two minutes and feel the whole thing, I'd never touch I anything would in have in. to go live in a cave. I can help you a little bit. I can promise you, you can't scream. There you go. Oh, oh, that's worse. Yeah, because it, it contracts your jaw. You'll, you'll shatter your teeth before you scream. If that helps you feel any better. Nope. Oh, all right. So yeah, this it's a fucking horror show, but like the at one point, people are fainting. Yeah, he ought, he catches on fire, like where everybody can see it's not just smoke, and they have to go get the extinguisher. Brutal mm. almost throws water on him, <laughs> but I, there's the most important moment where once they've realized it, Paul goes to stop it, and Brutal is or is the other way around. Brutal goes to stop. Brutal it. goes yeah, to stop and it, and Paul like, stops him because he's like, "If we stop, like that, yeah. yeah, if we stop this now, he's still gonna die, but it's mm-hmm. gonna be even worse for him if we stop it now." Question: mm-hmm. Is this scene better or worse if we combined it with the pie-eating scene from the body? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of everyone passing out, everyone, everyone starts comically vomiting on each other. I feel like that is a movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I would watch that scene. <laughs> By the time it was over, Dell uh, thankfully was dead. But when Paul goes to take the stethoscope to listen to the heartbeat, he has to wipe away mm. some of the foam from the canister and it wipes off just Skin a chunk of his chest. Yeah, yeah, it's the way he described like seeing the runny eye sockets. It's, it's so listeners read it. It's so it's fucking yes. cool. I mean, it's gross, mm-hmm. but it's a very well-written, horrifying scene. By the end of this, they go to take the cap off. It's seared to Dell's head, and they shout at Percy to they get him out of that room into the tunnels waiting. And Percy's, like, in shock, mm-hmm. basically, because they say he, say he speculates that Percy didn't know it would be this bad. I, which raises the question: What the fuck did he think was going to happen? So, it was, was that so that twenty-one-year-old ex- thing. Well, the his excuse is that he's his rehearsed excuse because he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. was going to make the death worse. That decision he made, knowing full well the malice that mm-hmm. was going into it, because it's later mentioned he asked somebody specifically several questions about the sponge, but his defense is. When we rehearse it, the sponge isn't wet. Mm -hmm. And that he thinks that's the most that's going to take care of everything, which is my favorite part of Mm -hmm. this is because they Paul has to physically stop brutal from beating the shit out of Percy, which, yes, 
Um, I want a book where Brutal beats the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fan fiction. Um, oh, we have a fight night coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah, Josh, do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, can you just make one of the character models just noticeably bigger than everyone else? I love that. <laughs> um, no, he like pulls Brutal and is like, no, if you do this as much as he deserves it, we're all getting fired. And I'm cool with that for me and you, but there's we have other guys that we have to look out mm-hmm. for. But they round on him and they descend on him and they say, okay, final straw, you're gone. Tomorrow you are putting in your application. We are never seeing you again. We hate you so goddamn much. Yeah, you're just going to be uh, – my favorite part is they're like – yeah, you're going to be transferred because you're an incompetent. Mm-hmm. Which is such <laughs> yeah. a good... And he has so to smart admit he, to that because he, he can't say it was malice. The the ego that you know that Percy mm-hmm. has of that instantly, he's like, no, I'm not. And it's like, oh, do you want to argue that you aren't? That you knew what you were doing? Is that what you want? Mm-hmm. And it forces him to admit that he's a fuck up piece of shit. Yeah. Which is... That's, Very satisfying. That's the satisfying yeah. end that mm-hmm. Percy deserves. This is what... Not being raped? <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, yeah, violence is bad. Humiliating someone that <laughs> is a piece of shit is well-deserved. Yes. It's like I said, first episode. Yes. <laughs> Do you like that this massively high-tension scene ends with the uh, temporary warden yelling at all of them and saying that Wharton's up there singing goddamn songs about it and Brutus going, can he carry a <laughs> tune though? Brutus <laughs> great. Such a great moment. I also like, because there was a storm, I don't know if we mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh my God, what are we going to do about this? And Paul's like, it's going to be great. People, like the the reporters who were here, yep. they come all the time. They know the drill. They're not going to put anything shitty or outrageous in the paper because it's going to be too sensational. And everyone else is just going to think, you know, the storm just made it weird. And they're going to be telling their friends and relatives about this crazy experience they had. And some Ooh. of them are going to feel like it's poetic justice because he burned alive. Yeah. And he burned the six-year-old girl he raped and killed. And everybody in that apartment building. Yep. When they get back up their coffee... Uh, his only real response is that Dell's out now and that makes him the luckiest one right now. I don't know if I'd super agree with that. Uh, and Mr. Jingles, during the incident, ran out of his coffee cell into the restraint room and out of the mile forever. Yeah, they never see him again. <laughs> we get to... <laughs> what, was, what was that you laughing about, <laughs> Sam? Me too. Uh, we get to the scene that Ben, you talked about earlier when he goes home. The plan is to mm-hmm. not tell his wife but she sees it on his face. And yeah, we get that that vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is, is nice to see. But it's in this comfort that the idea first comes to him. And this isn't the exact quote, but he makes a comment that atonement is the lock on the door you closed against the past. And I don't know how I feel about that, but I feel something about it. <laughs> you know, like, does that make sense? That is it that... Atonement is the process of of locking a door you never have to deal with because you did something that allowed you to lock it. You paid the price yeah. so you can close the door on it. Is I that... believe that's what the point of that is. Okay. So yeah. it's not about healing trauma. <laughs> it's, no, about it's about locking it away. It's about paying your dues for what you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, that like makes sense. serving your time, it's, kind of. Yeah. If we're going to put it oh, in prison terms. Your t- huh. Yeah, like 
people serve their time. So then, yeah. Like, that's why they also give them a dignified death because they serve their time on death row. <laughs> yeah. The next morning, Hal gives Paul a call because he's heard about everything that happened. Graciously agrees that he's going to the second that mm-hmm. application comes, he's fast tracking it, getting Percy the hell out of It'll there. It'll take a month or two instead of like a year. Yeah. Also, oh, Paul asks him about his wife because mm-hmm. his the wheels are turning and sorry, this isn't funny, but I loved it. He, she's not doing well and her brain is doing weird things. And it was interesting because he's like, she curses. And he's, yeah. Paul's like, huh? It's like, she swears. She told me the other day, can you give me the TV guide, you cocksucker? <laughs> and I love, I loved that. But then he went on and on and on. I know it's the times about like, where did where she did hear those words? How could, How could woman she know the word cocksucker? Word? <laughs> Their sex life must not be great. Right. <laughs> She's been keeping secrets, apparently. <laughs> uh, but it's very much, yeah, she's circling yeah. the drain. Mm-hmm. It's any day now. And that finalizes it for Paul. We're doing, we're pulling the trigger on this ethereal plan tonight. He invites. Oh, uh, do we need to mention first, though? Because this leaves us kind of with questions. He does something with coffee and a shoe, but we don't know what. Yeah, I don't remember what that was yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Because I remember, it comes yeah. up again at the very end of this mm-hmm. oh. and we don't get a find. Yeah, yeah it, he goes this to section ends and like as he's just explaining the plan mm-hmm. that they are going through with, he says, it started with my shoe. No idea. But, yeah, I, I don't, don't remember it. I don't remember either. <laughs> so he invites Brutal, Dean and Harry over for lunch and it is to tell them about the plan, about what... What he's learned about coffee, about the incident that happened to him, and Brutal brings up a good point that this is a ton to risk for a woman that only Paul and his wife are close to. Because <laughs> it's, again, we've talked around it, but it's the depression, so people mm-hmm. are clinging to mm-hmm. whatever income they have. But Paul, then Brutal says, it's not about that, though, is it? It's about setting you know rebalancing the scales because of how Dell went out that it was yeah Dell was the ugliest thing any of them had ever been a part of and the idea of being a part of that and not doing something on the good side they needed a win yeah, yeah. Th- this is also the part where he discusses uh with the other guards for the first time the fact that he believes John to be innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the one guy's like, well, I don't know how I feel about mm-hmm. him. What if he gets he's loose a and he murders someone and else? And he's and it, then Brutal's like, oh, you don't think he yeah, killed Paul those girls. Yeah, Paul is like, it won't yeah. happen. And, and they all act like, whoa, what? Are we as readers at any point in this story supposed to believe that John Coffey did it? Because, yeah, I think, I think you are I think book one. maybe book one. But the second he actually shows up on the mile, I feel like it is really super hit you over the head obvious that he's innocent. Mm-hmm. I just wondered if you guys felt the same way. I do too, because if he if it turned out he wasn't, that would have shocked me because it's been building it to to make you feel like he is. Yeah, he's a healer. He's like mm-hmm. a Christ allegory. Although it Obviously kind of, he's not in it. Uh, he's not guilty. It kind of frustrates me though, Paul refers to him kind of as an empty vessel. Yeah, and that's super interesting. He takes away his autonomy mm. and his, like, you know, he, he chooses, I think, coffee chooses no. to help people. Yeah. And that makes him a good 
person yeah. and Paul robs him of that. Yeah, he doesn't really see John Coffey as a human. Mm-mm. He sees John Coffey as like a divine, to, yeah. a divine, yeah, vessel. Like, but I could also see how it can it could be hard because we haven't really gotten much of them getting. They haven't really had much of the talk but, with him. But if he knows that he didn't murder those girls, there's no reason for him to rob him of that. And like, that's kind of like dismissive and sort of disdainful to. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I I think you're absolutely right. But I think the difference here is that and it may not play out feeling this way in the movie because it's mm-hmm. with actors, but it goes back to that whole you can be having a conversation with coffee about something and an hour later you'd have to explain yeah. to him what the radio was. Yeah. And I think that might be why he feels he's it's the empty vessel part of it because it doesn't seem like. It's not like Coffee is searching out people to mm-hmm. help. He can only help people that cross his path because he doesn't have it's presumed he doesn't have the faculties to to do that himself. Mm-hmm. But again, it's hard because we don't get anything from Coffee's perspective. Like we don't know how he sees the world and, and all of that. Uh, one last thing before we wrap this up, and this comes back to a conversation we had very early on about Dell's death and about whether Dell deserved the fate he got. No. <laughs> and it's what well, we, we had the like, he, he is a pedophile who murdered uh, someone and burned a bunch of people alive. And we had the conversation about whether Paul's an unreliable narrator when he's saying that that's not the fate he deserved. And he says something here that put that in perspective a little bit for me that I wanted to point out. And it's that we find out that his, at least the way I interpreted it, his opinion on Dell's death has nothing to do with what he was sentenced for and a hundred percent to do with the fact that now it's tied to his brain that his death was he paid that violent of a death for laughing at Percy peeing his pants Mm. and that's the part that is the death he doesn't deserve to be clear when I made that comment in the first episode I wasn't saying he deserved it I was saying I don't feel bad right, about it. Yeah, he doesn't deserve it. But about a well, yeah, it's a character. Death. Yeah, if I yeah, if I was there watching it, it was a real person. I'd probably right. throw if up. If this was based <laughs> on would, a true story, yeah. <laughs> but I thought I just thought that was yeah. That's it. Twisted the an argument I made yeah. in the first episode, and I thought that was interesting to point out. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be finishing the book. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, it's strange how pain marks our faces and makes us look like family. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Green Mile Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. Share your thoughts with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. As always, don't forget to check out our Etsy store for merchandise, our Patreon for bonus episodes, and our Discord for additional discussions. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.